Now, today we're going to start a new series. It's called Being Rich in What Matters Most. Being Rich in What Matters Most. Now, how many of you, when you were growing up, wanted to be rich? Okay. Yeah, I did too. Uh, (laughs) You know, kind of past tense. I did. I wanted to. But I remember when I was growing up, here's what I thought would be the signs of a rich family. If you owned a $2,500 car, okay, when I was growing up, $2,500 would buy you a lot of car. I thought, man, that would be a sign of a rich family. And if you lived in a $25,000 house, you know, that would be a rich person. You know, and at that time, it probably would have been. But what happens to richness? You know, how do you know when you get rich? The problem is that that line keeps moving and moving and moving and moving. And so today we're going to be looking at a little bit like that. And I've got one last question for you. How many of you know somebody who is rich? Okay. You know somebody who is rich? Here, everybody raise your hand. Okay, everybody raise your hand. How many of you know somebody who is rich? You all know somebody who is rich. You know? Anybody know Bill Gates? Well, you don't know him. Come on. You can't call him and say, hey, Bill, you know, how about a little loan? You know, but you know of him, right? So we know rich people. We know of rich people. And uh, uh, the problem is, of all of your rich friends that you know, if you were to ask them if they were rich, what do you think they would say? No. Yeah, they would say no. They would say absolutely not. And you know why? Because they could always point to somebody who is richer than they are. You know? And so for the, them, the line is a little farther. For us, the line is here where they are. And for them, the line is a little further. So how do we define what is rich? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. And so I want you to be here. I want you to complete the series with us so that we can define what does God think about richness? How do we get God's, uh, uh, not approval, but how do we get on God's plan for being rich? And how does he perceive that richness? And how can we get involved in that? Now, uh, Let's start. Let's just get into the scripture here. 1 Timothy 16, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. It says this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. Now, Timothy's a young guy. For those of you who are not real well-versed in the Bible, he's a young guy. And Paul is the dad kind of figure. And he's passing on ministry tips to this young guy that's going to be, that's growing up in ministry. And he says, here's how you do it. And here's some of the things he says about wealth. He says, when you get, get to your people and when you teach your people, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, this is a command from Paul to Timothy to instruct the church. Now, do you think the church ought to live by the same rules that it asks the people to live by? How many of you think that? Our church, us, you know, and what makes up the church? Who is the church? The people. The people are the church, right? So wherever you are this next week is where the church is. It doesn't just meet on Sundays. It just doesn't get together on Sundays. But it is wherever you are this next week. So now what what are the commands here? He says, he commands those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Okay, now what is arrogance? Arrogance is saying, I have this and you don't. Okay, I have this and you don't. 
Now, what's the antidote to arrogance? Anybody know what that is? How about generosity? I have this, you don't, so here's some for you. You know, does that make sense? That would get over the arrogance, wouldn't it? And that's what he says. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, I believe that as a church, we ought to do that. In fact, we did a whole series on generosity, didn't we? So today, and I kind of prepped you for this. Those of you who are new today, this is for you as well. Now, how many, you know, and here, let me explain this too. Church membership at Marina Church is determined by you, okay? We don't have a formal church membership where we have a list of people. We don't have that. But the people who are members are the people who are connected to the body of Christ, connected to us through the church. And the Apostle Paul uses a great image. He calls the church the body of Christ. Now, your body, and if we could use that analogy, your body, your arm is connected, right? So you know it's a member of your body, right? It's a member of your body. And it does two things. Number one, it's connected. Number two, it functions. Okay, You can use your arm. So you determine whether you're a member of this church simply by being connected to it and functioning, doing stuff. So this could be your very first Sunday with us. I hope that you come to an awareness of your need for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you can be connected to our body through Jesus through the forgiveness of your sin, and then you can function within the body. So I'm going to ask for 10 functioners today, okay? 10 people who can function. Here's what I'm going to ask you to function as. I'm going to ask you to be generous, okay? Be generous. Now, I'm going to ask you to be generous not with your own money, but with money from the church, okay? We have $1,000. Let me grab it. Let me make sure we still have it. You guys are good sports. <laughs> okay, I have $1,000. Now, typically in the offering, you know, you put money in, right? This is one where we're giving money out. So I need 10 people who are willing to do a couple of things. Number one, I want you to pray. I want you to pray and ask for God's leadership with this $100. Now, it could be that you pray and God says, you need $100. You know, you need $100. You got this to pay, you got that to pay, and this $100 would be helpful, Okay. You can use it for that, okay? Or I believe that there will be some who say, you know, I know someone who needs some help and I want to be generous with them. And I want them to know that I love them and that God loves them as well. And so I'm going to pass this $100 on to them. And I don't know how that's going to work for you. I don't know what you're going to say, but I hope you do say two things. Number one, this money was set aside by God for you because he loves you. Okay? Now, I need 10 volunteers. Okay? I see hands all over that room. Okay? But I don't see 10. So that's kind of a bummer. Okay, here we go. I'm going to go one. I'm going to go two. You know this? I don't know how this is going to work on the, on the audio thing for um, three. I see four. I see four. Five. I see six. I see. Oh man, you guys over there are getting a little concerned, aren't you? Seven. I see. Nancy, eight. Uh oh. You know we have eleven volunteers. Eight. Okay, Carlos. Okay. Ten. Marty, we'll get you next time. 
<laughs> okay, we have 10 volunteers. Now, you guys have a responsibility, right? Now, here's your responsibility to pray, ask God's leadership, use the money as he sees fit for you to use it, give it, use it, whatever it is, take care of that because it's God's money. It's not your money. It's not my money. It's God's money. And again, the generosity of this church makes these kinds of things possible. And I pray that you will be able to touch somebody's life with the love of God. Okay? With the love of God. I pray that that happens. Now, the next responsibility you have is to come next Sunday and share your story. Okay? Just as Frances shared her story about going up to Reading and doing all that stuff, I want you to share your story about what God led you to do. Okay? Now, God might have said, hey, you've got a bill and you've got to pay it. I want you to share that story. You know, do that. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. And so now, we're going to be a church that lives out the scripture, not just tells you how to live it out, but lives it out itself. And so we're going to use our resources for that end. Now, how many of you believe that you are rich? Okay, and I want you to know uh, that, that that's probably true. Because if Paul told Timothy to instruct those, command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for what? For our enjoyment. God provides those things for our enjoyment. Now, there's a certain amount of guilt, I think, that comes with Christian people when it comes to wealth. And that is, I shouldn't be wealthy. You know? When somebody compliments you and says, man, you're a rich person, what are you likely to say? Oh, no, I'm not rich. I'm not, oh, no, I'm not rich. So-and-so's rich. I'm not rich. You know? But if I came up to you and said, man, you're wearing a, that's a nice shirt you're wearing, what would you say? You'd say, thank you. You'd say, thank you. That, you know, we're not ashamed of that. But somehow we're ashamed of being wealthy. I don't think that we as Christians ought to be ashamed of being wealthy because wealth is not strictly monetary. Wealth is not strictly monetary. Wealth comes across the board. Uh, many of you are rich in friends. Many of you are rich in influence. Many of you are rich in a lot of different things. Maybe it's, it's skill. You're rich in skill. And so God has given you things to be rich in, and so we need to recognize our wealth. And as we go through the next five weeks, the next four actually, uh, we're going to find out that God has a lot to say about wealth and about how we ought to use it. Now, where did you get your stuff from? You know, where did you get your stuff? You know, if you're a, if you're a very good student of the Bible, you know, and, if, and even if you're a very good student of just seeing things around, you're going to say what? I worked for it. You know, I worked for it. And so therefore, whatever we work for is what? Mine. Well, I want you to know that God has given you a lot of things and able to, to be able to work. He's given you the strength of your body to go out and work. He's given you the strength of mind to be able to think and process and do all the stuff you need to do at work. He's given you the physical resources to work. He's given you, through that, a lot of blessings. And so for me, it's easy for me to say, everything I have has come from God. You know, he has blessed me with all of this other stuff. And so therefore, everything that I have comes from God. So let's try to figure out, where is the rich line? Okay? So, and here, the, the fill-in for number one here, the good news. And we're going to talk about good news, bad news today. Here's the good news. How many of you like good news? Okay, how many of you, you know, if you're given a choice, good news, bad news, how many of you would like to get the good news first? Okay, how many of you like the bad news first? Okay, well, sorry, I can't accommodate you guys because I already put the good news first. So I would like to be able to, but mm, I'd have to start backwards. Okay, and I'm no good even going forward. So the good news is that you are rich. 
There's the good news. You are rich. In Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says this. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a what? Gift from God. This is a gift of God. And he gives that to you. Now, not only does he give you the wealth, but he gives you the satisfaction of work. He gives you the satisfaction of having stuff. But we only find that satisfaction when we use it properly. So let's decide. Now, I want you to say this with me. I am rich, okay? On three. One, two, three. I am rich. You are rich, okay? Now, how many of you think you're rich, though? Some of you are going to give me a little pushback here and say, you know, I'm not really feeling that rich. Well, I want you to know, compared to the world, I did some studies. And, and on this website, what was it called? Investopedia, I think. Investopedia. And I was looking on the website, and I've got some statistics for you, and you can fill them in right here. How much income do you think qualifies you for the top 1% in the world? You know, there's a lot of talk about the one percenters, you know, and we kind of relegate that just to the United States. But one percenters in the world, what kind of income do you think it would take to be a one percenter in the world? Millions. Millions. How many? Billions? Billions. Billions. How many? How much? Give me how much? 200,000 or 200 million? 200,000? Yeah. Do you think it's low? Yeah. Here, I'm going to give you the statistic. $32,400. $32,400 qualifies you as the top 1% income in the world. Did you know that 10% of our world, in fact, more than 10%, but at least 10% of our world lives on $2 or less per day? How many of you feel rich? You know? How many of you feel rich? Yeah, you know, and it's kind of interesting. Now, that's income. Now, there's some people that don't have a lot of income, but they have a lot of wealth, you know. And so how much wealth do you think it takes? Now, this includes your house, you know, the, the, the investment things that you have and all the net profit stuff that you have. How much do you think it takes to be in the top 1% in the world of wealth? More than I have. And that's what most people would say. I think you're going to be a little surprised here. It's $770,000. That includes the equity in your house, your investments, all of the stuff that you own that's a positive cash flow for you. $770,000. Now, many people live in a house that is worth more than that. You know, that's the top 1% in the world. Now, a lot of you are going to, you know, like I said, you're going to give me some pushback on this. Say, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I'm not wealthy. If you ask people in third world countries the sign of wealth, you know what they would say? They would say, someone who owns a car. Someone who owns a car. How many here own more than one car? Yeah. You know, in fact, we have houses for our cars. We call them garages. You know, in third world countries, that doesn't happen. You know, they don't have a car. They walk. They do all this stuff. And they look at people who do have cars as wealthy people and in the whole scheme of things, truly we are. We have a small area in which we compare ourselves to. We have a small spectrum that we compare ourselves to, and that's the people around us. But if we look at the entire world, we will find that we are some of the richest people in the entire world. In fact, most of us here today are in the top 1%. I'm going to say everybody here is in the top 10% in the world. Everybody here. If you don't have anything, if you don't have uh, a bank account, if you don't have, if you have 
food to eat, and you have some clothes on your back, you're in the top 10%. So we are wealthy. Now, there's a place to fill in here at the end of, of number one, and that is God blesses me with more than I need. I am rich. God blesses me with more than I need. I am rich. We, own, we have two cars in our family, Cindy and I. We each have a car. You know, if I compared that to the people in third world countries, they go, wow, you know, you're really rich. And in fact, my company gives me a car to drive when I go to work. You know, they say, wow, you know, that's incredible. Most of us, uh, we, we go to a restaurant, okay? Now, we might pass 15 restaurants before we get to our favorite restaurant, right? You know, other people, they're scrounging for food to eat. They're scrounging for potable water so they can drink it. They're scrounging for just mere existence. Many people in the world. So I want us to recognize that God has blessed us with a lot of things. He's blessed us with being able to live in the United States because we live above the means of everybody else. We live above the means of people in Europe. In fact, in this $34,400 income qualifies you for um, uh, the top, 10%, uh, top 1% in the world. You know how much the median income is for people in Europe? $11,000. Comparable, $11,000. So we live above the people in Europe, and we think, I'd like to go to Europe for a vacation. You know, and there's a lot of great history there. There's a lot of great things to see. But the, the, cost, the, but the, uh, the level of, of existence is much lower there. So now that's the good news. So let's establish for the next five weeks at least that we are rich, right? We're rich. Now, let's get to the bad news, okay? What's the bad news? Anybody got a clue? Here's the bad news. The bad news is you are rich. It's the same thing. The good news is that you're rich. The bad news is that you're rich. And here I'm going to show you why that is. One day Jesus is coming along and he's, he's just kind of walking along. And this guy comes up to him. And he's, he's referred to in the Bible as the rich young ruler. And he asks Jesus, he, must, he says, what must I do to inherit heaven? You know, what must I do to get to heaven? Inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, well, you know, you've got to keep the commandments. And the guy kind of scratches his head. And he goes, well, gee, you know, I've done that since I was a kid. You know, I've done, that, I've done that all my life. And Jesus gives him a test. You know, and many people here today would say, well, yeah, I've been a Christian all my life. And here's your test. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to test you on this. And now, what are, if you were going to sum up the Ten Commandments into two things, what would it be? Number one, love God. Okay? Number two, love your fellow man. Okay? Love God, love your fellow man. Jesus kind of incorporates that in one of his little lessons to a guy. He says, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Love other people. So love God, love others. Now, this guy loved God. He wanted to get to heaven, right? So he kept those commandments. Now, there was this other aspect of the Ten Commandments about loving other people. Okay? And so Jesus tests him in this. He says, okay, take all of the stuff that you have, take all your property, sell it, and give it to the poor. Let's see how much you love other people. Okay? So he says, oh. You know, and he was very wealthy, and he had a lot of property. And so he was, went away, and, and Jesus you know, gets done, and the, the narrative says, and he went away sad. He went away sad because he was unwilling to sell what he had and give it to the poor generosity, being blessed with a lot of stuff, comes with some great responsibilities, doesn't it? The bad news is that we are rich and we may not use our wealth properly. 
So Jesus gives us that little example. And, and let me say this. God does not mind you having things. He doesn't mind that at all. In fact, he wants you to have stuff. He, want, he gives you stuff for your enjoyment, as we have already declared. He wants you to enjoy them. But what's the, you know, when, when I say that, God wants you to enjoy stuff, what do you automatically default to? I'm going to use it for me. I'm going to use it for me. You know, Francis, when you went up and gave those, those, that $1,000 worth of gift cards, what, what would have been better, if you could have spent them at Target yourself or if you gave them away? Okay, giving them away brings more pleasure, more enjoyment than using it for yourself. But we get kind of messed up and we think, well, if I use it for myself, I'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But the, pre- the sad thing is, when that $1,000 is gone, how much enjoyment do you have? You look at the stuff that you bought for $1,000, you say, well, you really didn't need that, and I didn't need that, and this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And we have a little bit of remorse, don't we? But when you give it away to somebody else, you always have enjoyment. Enjoyment. So God gives us things to be generous with because that's enjoyment as well. It's not just for our personal consumption. But like I said, God does not mind us having things. Now, what he doesn't want is for the things to have us. How many of you have been ever been, you know, kind of bound by your possessions? You know, we've got this house, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got this, and we have to, you know, and we start managing stuff. We just start managing stuff. And we fail to live life, live life to its fullest. Uh, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it how? Have it to the fullest, the fullest. And God knows how we operate. God knows how we are made, and he knows what's best for us. And so when we follow his word, we get a chance to operate in that fullest kind of life. Now, let me draw your attention to Luke chapter 18, verses 24 and 25. Jesus looked at him and said this, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's the bad news, right? Because if we're rich, it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier. Now, how many of you enjoy Hebrew humor? Let me tell you, you know, you giggle now, but I'm going to tell you a Hebrew joke here uh, and, and you're not going to laugh, okay? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You did not laugh, okay? It's kind of like British humor, you know? And here's the humor. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. If you were Hebrew, you'd be slapping your knee, going, oh, that is so funny, because how preposterous to think that a camel could go through the eye of a needle, you know, you guys still don't get it, do you? you know, your humor palette is a little different than the Hebrew. Okay, and that's, that's fair. That's fair. Because uh, I didn't crack up either when I first read that. Okay, now, he says that. It's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why is that? Why is it so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God? I'll give you three reasons right here. Okay, number one, because when you have a lot of money, it's hard to depend on God, okay? It's hard to depend on God, okay? Now, if you have all the money to buy everything that you want, everything that you need, how much dependence do you need on God? Not a lot. Now, little do you know that you should depend on him for your job that provides that, those resources. You should depend on God to tell you, instruct you how to use them and, uh, and still depend on him. But most people, when they become wealthy... They don't depend on God. 
because they have their money to depend on. And the Bible is full of things that say, hey, don't depend on your money. It's deceitful, you know, and it'll lead you to the wrong place. So number one, it's hard to depend on God because I have all of this wealth. The, remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray? He said, taught them the model prayer. And in there it says, and give us this day our daily bread. Now, some people, I'll be honest with you, depend on God daily to provide for them. Some people, okay? There are people in this room that depend on God to daily provide for them. That is a great position of faith to be in. Because for many of us, we depend on our refrigerator, okay? Give us this month, our monthly resources, so that we can put it in our refrigerator, so that we can get it out at our convenience, so that we can end up doing what we do, eat, you know? But there's a great, great lesson to learn from being dependent daily on God, which is a real position of faith. And that's why it's hard for rich people to depend on God, because they don't depend on him daily. However, no matter how wealthy you are, you can learn to depend on God daily. So keep that in mind. Another reason why it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God is because it distracts you from true priorities. True priorities. One of the Ten Commandments is what? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, it doesn't say remember the Sabbath day and go to church every Sunday. But it does say remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Set it apart for God. Now, I still want you to come to church every Sunday, okay? Because I believe that's where we come together, we get recharged, we get refocused, we get to go out and be the church wherever we find ourselves. So I want you to come to church every Sunday. But I also don't want you to come to church I want you to come so that you can be the church. Be the church as you go out in the community and to your work, to your family, whatever it is. I want you to be the church. Be a representative of who God is, of how Jesus has changed you, of the direction that he gives your life, so that you can influence other people to do the same. So being rich distracts you from true priorities. Have you ever noticed how the richer people get the more they travel? You know, I'm not trying to spank anybody here today, but... We travel when? On the weekends. Okay, on the weekends. And I want to challenge you that if you travel on the weekends, that you find a place to go to church on Sunday. Okay, wherever it is. I remember growing up and we would go to, you know, we'd go on vacation very rarely, you know, like once maybe every eight years. And we'd go on vacation, we'd get in the car and we'd travel, you know, for a couple of weeks. And I remember that uh, my parents were very strict about going to church. And so in our church, they started awarding these little buttons, you know, these little pins that you would wear for perfect Sunday school attendance. Anybody ever get one of those? You know, you got this, this, it looked like a penny. It was a copper one for three months straight attendance. And then for six months, it got a little fancier and then nine months. And then when you got to the one year, it was this white enameled thing with a red cross on it and a little banner thing at the bottom that said one year. And you got to wear that every Sunday when you went to church. And then... If you went two years, there was a little bar that hung down below that, and you'd clip it on, you know, and it was on little chains, and it hung down. And then two years, you got another little bar, three years, four years, five years. I had seven years. Now, I can't figure this out, you know, as a kid. I can't figure out there were four people in my family. I was the only one who had seven years perfect attendance. I did not drive a car. I never went to church on my bicycle. I was there every Sunday, but somehow the rest of my family, they were not. 
But when we would go on, on vacations, and this is something I thank my family for, when we would go on vacation, we would stop on Sunday, wherever we were, if we were traveling, we would find a local church there, uh, and we would go to Sunday school and to church. And then we'd get back on the road and go. And they would give me a little program from the church, and they'd say, Mike was here on such and such a Sunday, da, da, da. I could take that back, and I got another bar. You know? But that instilled with me, within me the importance of being in church. You know, because that's where we get recharged. That's where we get refocused. And so if you have the wealth to travel, please find a way to worship God on Sunday. On Sunday. That's all I'm asking. Because this wealth that we have can really distract us from our true priorities. Number three. Number three, and this is, this is what, one of the kind of caveats to all of this, is that if you're rich, you have a greater responsibility. If you are rich, you have greater responsibility. Jesus says this, to whom much is given, to whom much is given, much is required. You're, now, remember, we're given things for our enjoyment, but we're also given things so that we can redistribute them for God's purposes. Your generosity to this church is not just so that we can have, you know, a catered meal, you know, and maybe we, instead of having these chairs, we're going to go to like Brendan Theater style seating and have recliners, you know, with cup holders. And maybe we could have employ some, some people to come in and serve us, you know, sodas and popcorn and stuff during the service. You know, God doesn't give us that for that. That would be pretty enjoyable, though, wouldn't it? You know? The longer I talk, the more uncomfortable those seats become. And so, you know, a recliner, that might not be so bad. And for some of you, it'd be easier to sleep. Let's be honest. (laughs) So God gives us things so that we can be responsible with them. Be responsible with them. I believe that we can be one of two things with God's resources. Number one, we can be a reservoir. You know, and you know what reservoirs do? They collect all the melted snow and the runoff water and everything, and they store it for future use. Okay? And that future use may come and it may not. And I always wonder, you know, in those reservoirs, how much of that water evaporates every day anyway, just because we're kind of storing it, you know? And I think, you know, whatever. And, and we could do that with God's resources. We could store them up for ourselves. We could have a big fat bank account. We could do this. But I would rather think of us as conduits. You know what a conduit is? A conduit is something that takes electrical energy, wiring or whatever, and, and guides it to where it needs to be. Okay? And so therefore, if we become conduits of God's resources and get it to where it needs to be, that's a far greater use of God's resources than it is to store them all up and have a big fat bank account and say, you know what? We could operate for 10 years without everybody, anybody ever giving a dime to this church. You know, what a tragedy that would be. You know, but our church says we're going to be a conduit. We're going to bring money in. We're going to get it out. We're going to put it in the proper places. And 10 of you here today are going to be part of that process. I had a guy in my car this last week. Some of you don't know what I do for a living. Uh, but my real job, where I make money, is that I, I take people from their homes to their medical appointments. And I had this guy that I picked up in Sacramento, and he was going up to Anderson, which is just short of Reading. And uh, so we were in the car for two and a half hours. Now, if you get a good person in your car for two and a half hours, it's a great time. If you get a bummer in your car, though, it's, a, it's like two and a half days. 
So you always kind of have your fingers crossed when you get one of these long trips like this. And so I pulled up in front of UC Davis, and out he comes. He's in a wheelchair, you know. And he goes, oh, man, are you waiting for me? I said, yeah, I am. So he jumps in the car. And, uh, and I, I'm always a little leery at first. He's sitting in the front seat. And, uh, and he said, hey, do you mind if we, you know, if, if when we get out of town a little bit, you know, we stop and let me smoke a cigarette? I said, oh, yeah, no problem. So we got to rest up. We do that. Uh, but we start talking. And he's telling me a story. And, and it, it's awesome because when people start telling you their story, you don't have to say a word. You know, they just go and go and go. And he's telling me a story. He died three times, three times. His heart stopped once for seven minutes, once for three minutes. I forget what the third one was. But in that process, part of his brain died. And now he has grand mal seizures. And that's why he was at UC Davis. He was getting medical. They were testing him and they were inducing these seizures. He said they would induce like five a day for five days. He said that we want to study it and we want to find out the exact spot in your brain that, that needs the attention. And so they induced these things and hopefully they would be mild ones. Uh, and I said, and so he's telling me this and I'm thinking, I got this guy in my car for two and a half hours. What if he has a seizure while we're driving? What should I do? And so I asked him, I said, well, you know, if a person came upon you while you were having a seizure, what would you recommend they do? He says, well, if I'm out in the, you know, in, in just walking and I have one and I fall down, uh, they would roll me on my side and they would just, you know, wait it out. I said, well, if you're driving in a car, you know, <laughs> what would you recommend I do? Or what would you recommend they do? He says, well, just let it go. You know, there's nothing you can do. You know, you never put your finger in their mouth because they'll bite your finger off and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I said, well, what if you bite your tongue off? Better my tongue than your finger. I said, yeah, I, I agree with that. And so he's telling me this story. One time he had a seven-hour seizure. And I asked him, I said, are you conscious when this happens? He goes, no, no. I, when I wake up, I don't remember. But the seizure is like every muscle. Have you ever, ever had a leg cramp, a really bad leg cramp? He says, it's like every muscle in your body is cramping like that, only worse. And so when you wake up from it, you have no recollection of it, but you can feel your body. And he says, you're sore and you hurt and it takes sometimes... Uh, days to recover. And he said, I had one for seven hours one time. And uh, he said, it took me like two weeks to recover. And I thought, man, that's what a way to live life. And he's probably, you know, mid fifties at this point. So he starts telling me his story and he was an electrical contractor and uh, owned a business, had crews. I mean, it was, he had a great business. Uh, he built hospitals. He did all of the electrical work for big hospitals like Kaiser hospitals and stuff and uh, was very wealthy owned a bunch of houses, and then he had this, this thing that, where he died and his brain you know, got damaged, and his wife of 36 years left him because she just didn't want to put up with that stuff anymore. And uh, he had lost his, his ability to earn a living. He lost his contractor's license because you can't be around that kind of electricity and fall down. And uh, he lost his driver's license, lost his contractor's license, and so he had no income coming in. But he was wealthy, had a lot of money, until she divorced him. She took all of the houses, took all of the cars, and now he lives with his mom. And I'm thinking, this man has every right in the world to be as bitter as he could be. But you know what? He was not. He was thankful. He says, you know what? I could have fought for those houses. I could have fought for the cars. I could have done all that stuff. And I would have had the cars, and I might have had a house or two. And, uh, you know, I might have had more of my wealth back. But he said, I would have felt bad 
I would have felt bad because, I, because all of that stuff would have been a product of a fight that I had with a woman that I love. And he said, I still love her today. And, uh, you know, but, and I love her enough to give her this stuff. And I thought, what a great, what a great perspective. Because every one of us could focus on what we lost. What we lost. And the wealth we no longer have. But this man had a wealth that could not be accounted for. He had a wealth of experience that caused him to have a different perspective on his stuff. And he says, I have my life. You know, I fall down every now and then, you know, and I bust my head and get stitches and all that stuff because I have these seizures. He says, but I have life. And I have friends who know me, who watch out for me, who protect me. And I have, I have all of that stuff that I would not have had if I stayed and worked and did all that thing. I have a whole different perspective on God. And, on, and he says, I don't know if you're a religious man or not. <laughs> he's, and, and this kind of way when he started. He says, I don't know if you're a religious man or not, but here's how I, what I think of God now. And he tells me, and he, the guy's witnessing to me. And, he, and he's telling me about God. And he gets done. He takes a pause. You know, and I said, you know, you asked me if I'm a religious man. And, and I am. I am. I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm a pastor of a church. He goes, oh, I knew there was something about you where we connected. I knew there was something where we connected. And I said, yeah. And the wealth that he had without having a lot of stuff was impressive to me. And so I want you to know that you're probably gauged by some people by what you have, you know, the bank account you have, maybe the car that you drive and the kind of house you live in and all of that stuff. There might be somebody that evaluates you by that. But there are other people that will evaluate you based on your goodness, based on your kindness, based on the fruits of the Spirit that God has given to you as a believer in Him and gives you the perspective to see people differently. That's what God had given this man. And it was impressive to me because God had given him life. God had given him this future. And and he, he even told me about this one time when he went to heaven. He says he was up there, and he saw his grandfather and, uh, and his family, and, he, and then he heard this voice. And he said, he said this, I heard the voice of the big man. <laughs> and he said, he said, the voice said, it's not your time. You have to go back. And he was so disappointed. He said, I was so disappointed because it was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I was so disappointed that I had to go back. But he said that, the big voice told him, you have still more to do on earth. And he says, and he asked him, he says, well, what is it that I have to do? And he said, you'll know when you do it. And so he sa- I said, well, part of, your, part of your reason for being here today is sharing your story with me. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. But I also need to describe some other stuff that he had done. He had lost his two brothers and his father all within a year. And he says, my job was to help my mom get through that, you know. And with a perspective like his, he, he did it remarkably. So I want you to know that possessions are really pretty meaningless without relationships. Something to use your, your wealth for. When I think about wealth, I think about the richest man in the, in the entire universe. And that's God. And God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth to display to us who God is. And he sent Jesus down and he lived on this earth for 33 years. And at the end of 33 years, he died on a cross. He had all of the wealth. God owns everything in the universe. 
And it would have been meaningless to Jesus if he didn't share that wealth with people who would end up in heaven. And so Jesus did. He says, I'll pay for you because there's a roadblock to keeping you from heaven. And you got to pay for your sinfulness. And so he says, there's two ways to do that. You can pay for yourself by dying and going to hell. Or I can pay for you by dying on a cross and you receiving me as your Lord and Savior. Today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to recognize, number one, that you're pretty selfish. Okay? We're all, you know, in our sinful state, we're pretty selfish. And it's not hard for us to recognize that. You know, we want what we want. We want it right now. Number two, I want you to realize that Jesus came to earth to die on a cross to pay God for your sinfulness. Justice demands that somebody pay. And Jesus said, I don't want you to have to pay because when you pay, you'll spend eternity separated from me. I want you to be with me. And so therefore, I'm going to pay for you. He went to a cross, died, paid your penalty to God for your sinfulness. Now, all you have to do is receive that. Jesus says there's two things. Number one, repent. Turn away from your selfish ways and follow God and be generous and look out for other people. Number two, he says, believe. Repent and believe. Follow me. I know best how you work. I know best how you operate because God created you. And so follow me. The rules that I give you are not to restrict you, but they are to empower you to be everything that God created you to be.